Hey everyone, um, I am uh, going to continue talking about my relationship with my ex-narcissist. Uh, I guess this would be part two to kind of get you up to date on where we are as far as dealing with someone with narcissistic personality dis disorder and in my journey. I mean, at this point... Um, the major phases that have led up to me leaving Las Vegas to move to New York due to an ultimatum that was given to me by my narcissist who was going to move to New York. Uh, her mom bought a plane ticket, um, didn't leave me with the choice other than, you know, not join her within the next week and basically uproot my entire existence um, to the other side of the country. So, um, yeah, so basically at this point in our relationship, the, the, the phases that have kind of been implemented, um, the major phase at the beginning of our relationship you know, that check the boxes are, you know, idealization or love bombing, um, showering with praises and gifts. At this point, the relationship can kind of feel almost euphoric um, and meant to be. Um, narcissists are very good at um, kind of seeking out those people that they recognize, that have qualities that they recognize that they're lacking in. Um, empathy, uh, sympathy, um, compromise, um, the ability to, to, to serve others to, you know, um, those types of characteristics, um, that are, you know, good qualities to have is what a narcissist attacks. Um, they want and they can't fulfill that themselves, and they need that from other people to feed their own ego. Um, so to get you um, hooked on their type of love, they will just shower you with praise, support you in every way they can, do everything um, to really show you their love and support, um, and then you know, once that has been established, the um, next phase that they put into place is devaluation. Um, they start holding, uh, withholding affection, uh, withholding um, intimacy, um, you know, put downs, blame shifting, projection, gaslighting, hoovering, um, physical abuse, you know, mental abuse, um, withholding sex, um, financial abuse. Um, these were all the things that I had experienced without really recognizing any of these traits because, you know, you're, you're bombarded from so many different directions. Um, you don't realize these are the things that are happening. So up to the point of me leaving, um, to move um, with my pregnant narcissist who now has her um, her hooks, I guess, in me. Um, these were all the things, 
you know, along with, with other things that had already kind of been put in place and had worked me into a situation. Um, and me moving there had now bonded us, had now made that a little bit, you know, that, that hold she had a little bit tighter on me as it was completely removing me from any sort of support that I might have um, in possibly getting out of the situation. So, um, and I think it's also important to note that uh, one thing that I didn't mention um, was that she had a job when I had first met her. Um, and then after I had met her, I was a bartender at the time. Um, a couple weeks, maybe a month after, about, probably about a month after, um, we started dating, um, you know, everything was to blame at work. You know, all the people at work were mean to her. Um, nobody liked her. Everyone was, you know, looking at her funny and she knew they were talking bad about, you know, her, um, then I guess it kind of boiled over at work. She had, she did end up getting fired. Um, she had one friend at work, um, <clears throat> this guy that was, uh, she worked at a clothing store in a, you know, a higher end mall in, um, Las Vegas. And she ended up getting fired and he was the only one that was really friends with her. And I guess he ended up having a huge blowout with her and, you know, he called her names and told her she was egotistical and told her she was selfish and that, you know, he didn't want to, you know, associate with her anymore and that she was, you know, mean and blah, 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 blah. And at the time, I hadn't seen any of those qualities. We'd only been dating for a month, so I was still in the uh, idolization phase. So she was still um, convincing me of how wonderful she is. Um, so I hadn't really seen those qualities in her, and I was very shocked by this. But... Um, she ended up getting fired, um, and then never got a job. I mean, she did look for a couple jobs, very, um, ho-hum-like. She didn't have a vehicle when she moved there. She was using the bus system, so she really loved the fact that I was willing to take her to work. She loved the fact that I was willing to go buy her groceries or do whatever I needed to do, you know, um, and I was. I was, I was willing to do that, you know, and she did at the time. Um, really thank me and really praise the fact that I was so helpful um, in her time of need. Um, but she never actually got another job, and she seemed completely content with that, um, which opened up her for more time to try to focus and do what she wanted to do um, and have me support her dreams um, by being the workhorse um, which, you know, was exactly what she needed um, in a partner that she was going to be able to kind of trap um, in her narcissistic uh, web. So uh, she ended up going to school. She ended up dropping out of school while we were living there. Um, and then we ended up moving. So once we moved, um, things got worse. Um, I couldn't find a good job for a while. Um, for at least the first few weeks, um, her mom set us up with an apartment. Um, it was a, it was a nice apartment. Um, then I finally found a job, uh, bartending. 
um, at this uh, local popular restaurant um, and doing serving um, if they needed it. Um, and that went well. Um, I, I know there was a lot of uh, jealousy on her part because it was a restaurant. There's waiters, but there's also waitresses, you know. Um, any job that I had where there was a female, any female, she would get very overprotective and jealous. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I didn't really ever feel comfortable at work because I didn't want to upset her. Um, I never was able to really be myself, and I knew how many friends I'd already lost. So I knew there wasn't any point in trying to make friends. Um, so the only people I would really hang out with were her friends. Uh, so she had a group of friends when we moved back. Well, moved back when I moved there. Cause she had she was moving back. So she had groups of, of friends that kind of would come out of the woodworks for months at a time, and then you know something would inevitably happen. Um, the people that she was closest to, she would somehow ruin those relationships and then blame them and they're so mean like they're losers about this or about that you know it, it, it was very looking back now knowing everything that I know it's very clear and obvious what's happening there you know I, I, I remember one friend told her she was a sociopath um, you know one friend told her a bunch of horrible things about herself <laughs> but yeah, she never would really keep any close friends. Um, once she started meeting new people, she started getting in different circles. Um, she would uh, eventually ruin those relationships one way or another. Um, side note, apologies for the meowing cat. Again, this is very, uh, you know, off the cuff uh, podcasting here. I uh, am in no means a journalist or, you know, any kind of degree in, in doing these things. It's more or less just kind of off the cuff, you know, saying what's uh, on my mind. So we have a cat, and due to COVID, we have not been able to get him so the dude's in heat and he is meowing like a maniac so um, hopefully you can bear with me on that so anyway um, yeah um, I lost my job um, because the restaurant went bankrupt um, and they closed their doors literally overnight um, that's when things started to get even Worse, uh, really bad. At that point, I wasn't able to support her um, in her dreams. Um, she was in fear that she might actually have to go get a job doing something she didn't want to do, um, which is exactly what I was doing, but um, that doesn't matter um, to a narcissist because they are top priority and they expect the people that are in their lives to view them as the top priority. Um, so when that type of need was shifted to me, I became competition for their ego, uh, for her ego. 
and it was really hard on her. Um, there were numerous arguments, there were numerous fights. Um, I remember a night where you know she was calling me names, uh, a lot of the a lot of the same stuff she normally did, trying to kind of beat me down. I don't know if it was her way of trying to motivate me, but you know, calling me backwoods, calling me a hillbilly um, because of where I grew up in a small town um, in New Mexico and um, just really, uh, you know, saying that, you know, my family doesn't even love me. I don't even talk to my family anymore. So basically, you know, she created chaos with my friends and my family when she would say, you don't even have any friends, you don't even have any family, and the ones that you do have are losers, the ones that you have had um, aren't going to tell you um, what's really happening, what, you know, who you really are, like, they're not your true friends, um, they don't really support you the way I do, um, you know, so she basically ostracized me, or you know, manipulated me into doing so, um, ostracizing myself from anyone I was close with, but then would turn around and say that I was a loser because I had no friends and I had no family. Now I have no job. Um, so I'm, I'm virtually useless to this person. Um, and um, pretty much the definition of, you know, kicking someone when they're down. Um, so it just, I mean, I tried harder. I tried harder because I'm one of those people that's like, all right, I'll prove you wrong, I'll prove you wrong, I'll prove you wrong, you know? So instead of really pausing and, and taking inventory of all the things around me that were going on, I just, you know, really dove into finding a job. Uh, a big part of that is because I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be around her. I didn't want to listen to the abuse. I didn't want to listen to the arguments. So I would drive around town and just putting in applications everywhere I could. Um, I mean, this was back before online job hunting was as popular as it is now. Um, most people still did um, handwritten resumes, so I'm just driving around all over the place. Uh, or not resumes, uh, applications. So I'm just driving around putting in applications everywhere and avoiding her, really. Because um, when I was there, it was just, you know, nonstop. I had to be moving. I had to be doing something, which only got worse as time went on. Um, you know, rub my feet, rub my back. Um, but if it was reversed and she had to show me any affection, she did not want to do that. Um, I think the entirety of our relationship, I think she gave me two back rubs um, over the past 12 13 years, um, and both of them lasted about five minutes, um, but yet she demanded that I would rub her back, and I mean, you know, in my mind, she's pregnant, maybe these are um, hormonal things that are happening, why she's getting so emotional, you know, up and down, um, getting mad at me easily, I just, I kind of just chalked it up to, um, possibly being something hormonal. Um, I believe at one point, um, I tried to discuss it with her and she got really angry at me. Um, 
essentially saying that that wasn't a thing and just kind of denied that there was any hormones, that it was my fault, um, that she was mad at me because of the things that I was doing, um, which pretty much the things I was doing was anything and everything I could to kind of get us back to that love bombing phase that would never return. Um, and I think that was part of it was, you know, I saw, I saw this in her once. I saw this before. I think, you know, we can get back there every once in a while when she was feeling like it, she would show me appreciation or gratitude just enough to keep me content. Um, but it would inevitably, um, you know, flip the script the next day or the next day. Um, and it would be back to, um, misery, misery. <laughs> um, so as we're living there, um, another one of the big phrases with narcissists are, um, you know, I hate you. Please don't leave me is kind of a, a phrase that's thrown around in the, in the community of, of narcissistic personality disorder survivors that I've kind of read. The, I love you. Don't hate me. Or I love you. Uh, I hate you, uh, don't leave me. Um, and I saw that range of emotions um, in a very short time frame um, on multiple occasions. Um, at one point, I tried to leave. Um, I didn't, I left the house. We shared a cell phone. Um, when I moved there, and it was just a flip phone, I left the house in the middle of winter. Um, and walked to a payphone and was afraid. I was afraid to drive. Um, I was afraid to drive because the one time I did try to leave, she chased me out of the house barefoot. Um, and I slammed the door and tried to leave the house when we were in an argument after she had hit me. Um, and she ran out of the house in the middle of the snow barefoot and I backed out of the parking lot or tried to, and she ran up to the door and grabbed the door handle as I was already backing out um, and um, slipped and fell. Um, and then started holding her stomach and saying, how dare you, look what you did to me, look what you did. You did this, you caused this, You're, are you trying to kill your baby? Um, <sighs> clearly I was not trying to kill my baby. Clearly I was not wanting that. I was trying to escape an abusive situation. Um, and she um, continued the argument and chased me down and tried to unlock the door as I was trying to drive away. And then um, <clears throat> I don't know if she actually slipped or if she just faked it. I don't know. I'll never know. I mean, either way, it was not a smart choice to come chasing after me after she had just hit me. But um, she was, you know, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave after she hit me. Um, I love you. Why are you doing this? Why are you being this way? Um, after she had um, abused me. Um, so I love you. Don't leave me. Or I hate you. Don't leave me. Um, kind of was the, the mantra there. Um, tried leaving a different time. And I did not expect on returning. I called my family from a payphone um, down the road. And um, 
in the cold in the middle of the night after she had um, attacked me again. Um, and all of these arguments were typically over money. It was over, you know, we want, I want to buy this, I want to buy that. And it was more like, you know, clothes or something that she wanted, that she wanted to feel pretty again. She just doesn't understand why I, I can't give her what she wants. And if I don't do these things, um, a fight will happen. But at the same time, rent needs to get paid, bills need to get paid. Um, I'm responsible for a lot of things financially. But if I don't um, give her the things that she wants to be showered with gifts, um, then, you know, I'm not um, the best partner I can be to her. So kind of putting you in a catch-22, um, which is a form of, you know, to, to the degree she did it, um, it was definitely a form of financial abuse. It would turn into and psychological battles um, and, and verbal battles and, and sometimes physical altercations from her um, when I was trying to put my foot down and create boundaries on our finances. Um, so, yeah, so I went down the street to a payphone, made a phone call, um, to my parents, um, I need to leave, I can't do this, you know, she hit me again, blah, blah, blah. Um, my parents were never really one to help me financially. Um, they're kind of under the mindset that, you know, you've got to be there for your family too, which is kind of why I ended up in the situation I was, but, um, you know, under normal circumstances, that's an understandable thing to say. But when you're dealing with somebody who's abusive, it's different. Um, societally, we are having, a lot of people have issues understanding that um, males can be abused um, as well. Um, and so you don't get that same rush of support um, or that same sympathy um, that you might have if I would have been um, a daughter to them. Just, you know, men are strong. Men can deal with it. They can handle getting hit. They can handle this. They can, you know. Um, so it was really hard to open up and talk about these things. So I think that they did see that I was, um, that it was actually serious this time. It wasn't just me whining about things, which was kind of out of character for me anyway. Um, and they ended up talking to my aunt. Um, I stayed by the payphone. They said they were going to call me back and see what they could figure out to help me. Um, <clears throat> they ended up calling my aunt. Um, and they were going to get me a bus ticket to um, back to New Mexico. To live with them, which was pretty much the last thing that I ever wanted to do in my life was move back to that town. But at this point, it was better than any other thing I could think of. Um, because I was just so honestly terrified at this point. I was beginning to feel scared for my safety and scared for my own life. Um, 
by the arguments and the physical nature of our arguments and how she would get with me um, to try to kind of, you know, maintain power and control over me. Um, so they bought me a bus ticket. I slept in the basement of my apartment complex um, by the washing machines. I basically had a coat and I just kind of wrapped it over my uh, upper body and my head to try to sleep. Um, and I just kind of slept leaning up against a dryer. Um, kind of slept sitting up that night. And then when I came, when I woke up, um, I went upstairs and she was up there waiting for me. And she started putting on a show of tears and crying and um, blaming me for, you know, running away and why would I do this and how could you do this? Like, I didn't do anything to you. You know, it's your fault for whatever it was at that point. I honestly don't remember. I just remember wanting to leave and I was so scared and full of anxiety. Um, I just grabbed my suitcase and I tried not to speak to her and just started packing it up, packing it up, packing it up. And the whole time she started getting more and more um, aggressive with her voice um, and authoritative and how dare you, how dare you, and started blaming me, blaming me, blaming me. When she saw that that wasn't working, she started crying again. When she saw that wasn't working, she went back to, you know, screaming at me. And so it was this back and forth of like mixed emotions as I'm packing and I'm telling her I'm leaving, I'm leaving, I've got a bus ticket, I'm going. Um, you can't do this, why would you do this, how dare you? Um, as I'm on my way to the door, she starts hitting me in the face, um, trying to block me in the bedroom doorway first and then started hitting me, um, slapping me, um, and then she close-fisted and I walked by her and then as I walked by her, once I, I had to basically not push her, but try to forcefully press my body past her. Um, and then she grabbed my leg. Um, she fell to the ground and grabbed my leg and just kind of held onto my leg. And I was essentially dragging her like a child, you know, holding on to a parent's leg um, through the apartment. And her just crying, saying, why would you do this to me? Don't leave me. I love you. I don't understand why you would do this. And the tears felt real. The good old hoovering um, worked. Um, and before I walked out that door, I just, for some reason, stopped. And I kind of broke down because I was trying to be hard. I was trying to be non-emotional because I knew the things she had done to me and I and I stopped and I discussed with her and she promised me this and she promised me that and she opened up and she admitted that she was doing things that were negative. She admitted that she was doing all these um, things to me because she was scared and then she, you know, blamed it on hormones, blamed it on the pregnancy, blamed it on the moving and everything was happening so quickly and, you know, I related, I felt bad for her, um, all these, all these, oh man, I fell for it, basically, I fell for the trick, um, once I 
had established that I wasn't going to move, then I had to call my parents and tell them I'm not coming after they had um, went out on a limb to reach out to my mom's sister and my aunt to buy me a bus ticket. It was kind of like my get-out-of-jail-free card had just left. I never asked them again for anything like that um, because I just wasted money. Um, and I had a deep respect um, for my family for doing that for me, and I didn't ask for favors, and so I felt a lot of guilt, a lot of guilt for not following through with it. Um, and so I, I think I was too fearful to ever reach out for help again. Um, because I didn't want to be the boy who cried wolf. So by me staying, that, I mean, as isolated as that was, now I was really alone. Really alone. Um, so the next time that happened, I ended up, uh, next fight I had, next time I tried to escape, I ended up calling my friend who lived in Michigan at the time. Um, he was willing to drive down there, but his wife at the time, um, did not care for me, did not like me. Um, I think it, I, looking back now, again, after finding out what he went through, he ended up having to escape his ex. I don't know if she was a narcissist, but I do know he was in a situation where there was financial abuse happening. There was psychological damage being done. Um, and he ended up getting out of that relationship, um, ended up divorcing her. Luckily, they didn't have children together. For him, um, for his sake, that was a really positive thing. Um, but she did not want his attention being taken away. She didn't want him to fly or drive hours to come pick me up, but he told me he was coming, and I waited for him, and he never showed up. So then I had nobody, so I ended up going back to her that time because um, my, my ride had left, and that, that was my last card. That was the last card that I had, the last, uh, that was really my last chance to escape, I felt like. So at that point, I kind of was like, well, I'm out of options, so I might as well make the best of it, you know. Um, then I really just did everything I could, and I put all of my energy into being the best partner, the best father. Um, our child was born. Um, that was really, you know, a good experience for me. Um, you know, I really devoted all of my time and attention outside of work to, to him, but yet this was now competition for my ex, uh, narcissist. That was, that was competition for her because now I just had to work doubly hard to um, keep her happy, keep a child happy, and um, keep my job. Um, so I worked odd jobs during all of this. You know, my when I lost my job, um, that was right around when my son was born, actually, when that restaurant closed. It was right about a week after my son was born that the restaurant closed. Um, then I was out of work. Um, there's so many events that happened, it's sometimes hard to keep in chronological order. Um, I just remember this specific chapter being, you know, exceptionally hard. 
I think a big part of it was I wasn't completely broken. And I am a very positive person, so I still had a lot of fight in me, um, which is not what a narcissist wants. They want complete and total control and domination. Um, but, you know, slowly but surely, every single, you know, opportunity I had to escape her, um, as they slowly, um, you know, disappeared one by one, I, I was left with no other options but to just kind of succumb to being in the situation, which left me open to compromising my standards, compromising what I, my beliefs, um, and then that's when I really started to change, I think, for the worse, um, and became feeling more weak. Um, she never got a job, so it was left, it was left to me. Um, we ended up moving after that year, so that was the first year I lived there. We ended up moving to um, an apartment. Um, that her mother's um, partner owned. He owned a home that was about a block away from her mother. So now we're close to her mother. Her mother is also one of those people that's very giving, but also um, will absolutely hold it against you. Um, so it's not just giving with no expectation. There's always strings attached. And unbeknownst to me, um, those things would come back to bite me. Um during, after my, my son was born, um, she had battled with bulimia, um, which is another control thing. Um, she had abandonment issues, um, but the, the bulimia was really started amping up once we moved into this new apartment, um, and would lie to me. I would know it was happening every time we went to eat. She would have to go to the bathroom immediately. I, there were times where I could literally hear her gagging um, and coughing and then would come out of the bathroom and I would try to discuss it with her and she would um, get really angry with me and say it wasn't happening. Um, and then she started to lose weight. Um, I wasn't giving her the attention she felt that she deserved. Um, so... She started um, trying to go after things that she thought she deserved, you know, which was attention. Um, and where would she find that attention? In looking pretty, in looking skinny, um, which is where the bulimia came in. Once she started to get to a weight she felt comfortable with, she started reaching out and doing modeling uh, photo shoots. Um, she started to gain some traction there and started to make connections in the modeling world. Um, and with that came a lot of attention on social media from, um, males. Um, I never really cared or put too much, like, stock into it. I was just trying to be a supportive partner. Um, and, um, she ended up becoming really close friends with this guy that she had known through mutual friends. Um, you know, he offered her, uh, a ride home from a photo shoot once. And she was like, Hey, this guy, like she would talk about this guy is just a friend, totally platonic. Um, he's really nice. I met him through so-and-so, um, you know, he's a nurse. 
he's got a girlfriend, all these things. Um, you know, he was, uh, this person for some reason that she was really drawn to as a quote unquote friend. Um, she also had another guy <laughs> that was a male photographer, um, which I found out later had sent her, um, you know, basically videos of himself masturbating, which I found out later. And then she was saying, you know, once I found out about it, she kind of flipped the script and would tell me like, that's disgusting. I didn't want this. Um, he does this to everyone. He's such a scumbag. Um, but that didn't happen until after I had, you know, found out. I don't remember how I found out. Um, but, um, I'm thinking there was a little bit more to that story. Um, this photographer used to go to her, hang out with her when I wasn't around. Oh, she did have a job for about a month or two. Um, and that job consisted of working at a vintage, um, you know, like vintage clothing stores, like higher end, you know, boutique furs and stuff like that. And she did work there for about a month, um, part-time, like two days a week. Um, and the photographer would go up there and hang out with her while she was working and he would take photos of her and tell her how beautiful she was. And I'm sure there was some things that were happening during that time that I am unaware of. But there was an, another guy that, you know, started coming into the picture, um, after photo shoots, she would ask if she could go hang out with friends and she wanted to hang out. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'd like to meet him sometime. You know, I, I mean, if he's a friend of yours, that's totally great. I, I'd, I'd like to meet him. Um, then she would tell me that that would seem weird to her, that he would feel uncomfortable about that. Like I would be trying to question him or that I might be jealous. Um, she started telling me that I was jealous, um, and that I needed to trust her and that, you know, I, I don't trust her enough. Um, no, I, and I would just kind of say, okay, okay, I trust you. Um, but at the same time, the longer it went on, the more confused I got by it and the more uncomfortable I started to feel about it. So, um, yeah, uh, she would go out to like dinner with him. I remember she went out with him one night, um, to go to a bar or something like that. And I was trying to be understanding, you know, he wouldn't come up to introduce himself to me. He would just wait in the car. Um, it just all seemed very weird. Um, I don't remember why I did, or maybe I just came across it, but I remember going to the desktop computer and went to just log on. I don't remember what I was going to go search for something to go on my Facebook. Um, and her Facebook was up and for some reason, curiosity kind of got the better of me because she was acting so bizarre. Um, and her mood swings with, with everything was just so extreme. Um, again, me not recognizing it being narcissism, I blamed it on other things like, uh, her eating disorder. Um, abandonment issues, um, from her father and, you know, things of that nature, um, which I think plays a part in someone with BPD, borderline personality disorder, um, or NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. A lot of these things do come into play. Um, but I didn't realize that. So 
I got on the computer and I remember seeing messages from him um, that were on there, this person that she was now friends with out of the blue that was picking her up for modeling shoots, you know, and then her saying, oh, it's just easier that way because, you know, you have the child so you can stay home with the boy. You don't have to worry about coming to pick me up. Um, he's just doing it as a friend. He's just trying to be helpful. But then when he would pick her up, they would always go out to grab food afterwards and, and have time together before coming home. So I looked on the computer and I saw messages like, uh, you know, hey, we should go out sometime, go to the movies. There's some movie that came out. I don't remember what it was right now. Um, and, uh, you know, you can you can tell um, Phil who, you know, that I'm going with you or not. Like you can tell him... Um, who we are together now or not. Um, it's up to you. I don't care. I just want to be with you. And she would say things like, oh, you're so sweet. I do too. I want to be with you too. Um, and then I saw one that said, um, you know, from her late at night saying operation sneak out of the house was a success. Phil didn't even know that I was gone. Um, anyway, fuck him. Um, if he cared about me at all he would have recognized that I wasn't there. And this was at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Um, so essentially she was sneaking out of the house to go be with this person. Um, and during that time, there was there was no affection. There was no communication. There was, there was nothing but fights about finances um, and wanting me to buy her more things and get her more things and this and that. It was all about appearances and it had to be um, up to her standard and you know, her modeling career and her life, you know, um, everything was, was about her at this point. There was, I was, I was completely just along for the ride, um, with no identity other than what she wanted to give me an identity for. So <clears throat> I came across that, um, and confronted her with it. Um, and that's when she shifted the blame to me, um, you know, saying that I don't care about her career, that I don't care about what she's doing and, you know, how egotistical of me to even think that, um, this meant that she was cheating on me or that she was doing anything. Um, so, um, Yeah, I think, I think there were a couple nights there that we had been intimate. I mean, probably, I mean, at that point we were probably working on, um, once every couple months we might, um, have sex. Um, it was very, very few times, but, um, <clears throat> so she basically totally told me she wasn't cheating on me. She wasn't doing anything with this person. What he meant by telling me who she was going with to the movies was that she was going with a friend and tell him who we are or not. She meant, he meant that, you know, we were just really close friends and going out, sneaking out of the house meant that he was going through some stuff and he just really needed a friend to be there for him. And so she snuck out of the house to go be with him as a friend and they just needed to go talk. They just had to go talk about things <clears throat> and how dare I be so self-centered um, and egotistical um, and, you know, if I had been paying enough attention before, 
none of this would have happened anyway. She wouldn't have to reach out to other people if I was everything that she needed. But obviously, I'm not being everything she needs. Um, you know, so it was just a, a complete shift of, of blame um, and gaslighting of, of certain scenarios, stories that she would change and twist, um, contort histories of that I knew better, but then I would start to question everything started to question my own sanity um thought that I was just this horrible person that was just heartless and emotionless um and um if it weren't for the fact that she got pregnant um part of me really wanted to believe it but I never did believe it but uh, she ended up getting pregnant and this guy actually took her to get an abortion um, and apparently he paid for it as well. Um, but that was not until I said, if you have this child, I want a paternity test. Um, and she was, you know, how dare you? You're disgusting. Why would you think I would have to be with anyone else? And it's like, well, yeah, because you were sneaking out of the house to go be with somebody. Um, but he ended up picking her up and taking her. I did not know if he was the one picking her up. She just said a friend was coming to pick her up. And he ended up paying for it. Um, I kind of had enough. And I had a friend at work at this point. Um, and he offered to me to move in with him in his, um, into his grandmother's home, which he was taking over because she was going into a nursing home. So it was kind of a temporary thing for him, kind of caretaking for her home. And he said I could stay there until I get on my feet, so I did, um, and during that time, her, one of her friends had a falling out with her, and her friend started reaching out to me and apologizing for how horrible, um, she was to me, um, and then she just kind of started spilling everything to me, um, about this guy, and how she, you know, was cheating on me with him, information she came clean that she had in fact had another baby and that she wanted to tell me and how dare this friend try to smear her name and say horrible things about her um you know how dare her um because she was going to tell me she had planned on telling me she just hadn't told me yet um so you know then she put on the tears and told me this story started crying, um, and then told me, never admitted to me about 
a lot of things that had happened between this guy and her. Um, another thing before I moved out that happened was I had a friend that lived across the street, and I told him to keep an eye on the house and look for a specific vehicle, which was this guy's vehicle, which I found out. Um, it's like a red SUV, and I said, if you see a red SUV across the street, let me know. So I was at work, and there was a red SUV there. And he took a picture of it, sent a picture message to me, and told me it was there. And I left work, and unfortunately, I lived like 45 minutes away from where I worked. So I started driving back, and he was like, yeah, it's still, it's still here. Basically, by the time I got there, he had just left about five minutes before that. Um, and my friend across the street told me, but this guy was going to my house during the day. Um, and that wasn't the first time that it happened. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, that was, and then she, she told me he was dropping off a book that he had borrowed from her. Never told me the book, um, but he was dropping off a book. Um, and I said, he was dropping off a book for an hour. And she was like, no, he was only here for five minutes. And <laughs> it was very clear that he was there for an hour because my friend across the street had zero reason to lie to me about it. He not to ruin my relationship. Had told me he was there for an hour. Um, you know, he was hoping for the best. Um, so my friend was in hoping for the best of our relationship, not that he was going to damage it. He had zero reason to do so. So again, just more lies. Um, after I had moved out, you know, she was still demanding things from me. She still wanted me to do everything for her. Um, you know, I was still going there every day to see my child. Um, still wanting me to like clean the house for her and pick things up. And she would go off to these modeling photo shoots and just kind of had me wherever she wanted me. And it was just kind of using me for what she needed. Um, at her convenience, um, and, uh, you know, in, in the interim, she was kind of gallivanting around doing whatever she wanted. She'd go out with her friends, go drinking all night, and I would stay home with the kid, and, you know, <clears throat> there was a couple times where I remember one time I showed up at the house to babysit, and there was a used condom in the, in the trash can in the, in the bedroom, in her bedroom. Uh, well, our shared bedroom, which was now her bedroom because I had moved out. Um, I confronted her about that. Her story was that um, she was not having sex with anybody, that um, that it was there because her and her friend got drunk one night together and they found a used condom, or found a condom in her friend's purse and they started blowing it up like a balloon and like being silly and drunk and throwing it at each other. And I'm like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Um, but that was the reasoning for there being a used condom in the trash can. And this was only a couple weeks after I had um, moved out for her cheating on me. So that's pretty upset. Uh, yeah, so then, um, so now at this point, I found out she had another child. Um, she had just had an abortion um, with one can only assume someone else's child. Um, and I was living in my friend's house with like my friend's grandmother's house, which was very much temporary living. Um, apparently the family got involved. 
the house I was staying at, and they didn't want me to stay there. Um, so I had nowhere to go. I had no friends. I had no family. I had nobody I could reach out to. Um, I was I was able to, you know, he offered, and I had no money because my tax at this point was, you you know, you've got to support your kid. You've got to support your family. Like, you can't just go out there partying all night and doing whatever you want, which I wasn't. <laughs> you know, and she was demanding me to pay rent, to pay the bills, to pay this, to pay that, and. Uh, go buy them food whenever they needed groceries she would send me lists and I would just go do it I was her her lackey um, and then I would have to drive back to my house and sleep wake up go to work and then drive straight over there to take care of her and her you know life um, so even though I moved out I was still around and I was still under her control um, because I was allowing that to happen um, but I was also very abused and I nowhere to turn. I had no outlet. Um, so I ended up moving in with my friends. After moving out of his grandmother's house, his parents said that I could live with them. So I'm this, you know, late 20s something guy living in somebody's parents' house um, because I had nowhere to turn. And it was so awkward, um, so uncomfortable. And the whole time this is going on, I'm getting Hoovered back in every day. If you would just move back in here, why don't you just move back in? I love you. I don't understand why you would do this. If you lived here, things would be different. I'm changing. I can change. I'm going to go to therapy. I'd never lie to you again. Um, all these different things. Um, and I was just so almost sick of hearing it that I just wanted her to shut up. I just wanted her to stop. And so I convinced myself, like, yeah, maybe she can change. And one night, specifically after my son went to bed, um, she asked me to just stay and watch a movie with her and just stay here. Um, and then she gave me one of the back rubs, you know, that she never did. Um, it's almost like she was, you know, pulling back hard because she knew she could. Um, and so she was giving me a back rub. She started physical with me and doing things that we had never done um, sexually and basically telling me if you move back in I will do this for you after night I will do this to you after night um, that kind of stuff and um, really just manipulating me through um, at this point through sex um, and convincing me at my most vulnerable state that I should make life choices <laughs> and further bonding us together. So, um, so that's pretty much uh, how I ended up moving back in, was making poor decisions and poor choices. So even after the abuse, after the found cheating, after um, you know all the physical violence she had done to me, all the things that had transpired, I still went back. You know, I tried so many times, and I had so many outlets, and I felt like I burned so many bridges. Um, and uh, I really had nowhere else to turn. And my time had kind of come to an end with living at this guy's house anyway, this guy's parents' house. I felt uncomfortable. I felt unwanted. I didn't have the finances to 
to for support with across the country. So I felt trapped and I went back um, and again was bonded and, and it made it even that much harder to move out again. I didn't want to go through that. I didn't want to go through the heartache and the pain and the confusion and the begging and pleading and begging and pleading and the hoovering. I just wanted it all to stop. And moving back in was not going to get it to stop, but I had no idea of any other option at that point that made any kind of logical sense other than me sleeping in my vehicle. And winters in New York are cold. And there wasn't really any choice in my mind other than, well, I guess I'll try again. Um, so that was kind of, you know, that's kind of my, my second chapter here <laughs> to my story. Um, I hope that it was uh, <laughs> not too painful with the cat meowing in the background. Um, it was pretty distracting for me. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the next chapter here we'll talk about, you know, marriage and, you know, inviting a second child into the world um, with this narcissist and all of the pains and, you know, anguishes kind of came along with that. But uh, thank you for listening. Um, you can always email me. My email is on the podcast page. Um, thank you for those who have reached out to me. Um, it's really great to see some of the people I'm reaching, even without promoting this. Um, hopefully I can have you guys on uh, future podcasts. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun to do some interviews with other people that have kind of gone through similar stories to myself and letting us all know that we are not alone in our journey um, to free ourselves from narcissistic abuse and uh, survive and come out on the other side um, stronger. So thank you guys for listening um, and girls. Um, I appreciate it and I will continue on with uh, chapter three and possibly an update on where I am with my uh, court um, that's upcoming on the 19th um, as soon as there's more information there. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good day and happy new year.